Greetings. We hope you enjoy this podcast of a Science for the Public program. If you'd like to see the video of this program, just search the title on our website under the Archives tab at the top of the homepage, www.scienceforthepublic.org. Good evening. I'm Yvonne Stapp for Science for the Public, and I welcome you to tonight's Contemporary Science Issues and Innovations program. Modern culture is much consumed with the brain and especially the degree to which social environment and biological aspects shape our mental processes and mental health. Well, our guest is a leading authority on the subject and therefore we welcome distinguished neuroscientist Alan J. Sanoff, Professor of Biological Engineering, MIT, and Director of the MIT Center for Neurobiological Engineering. Dr. J. Sanoff's new book, the Biological Mind, How Brain, Body, and Environment Collaborate to Make Us Who We Are, underscores the importance of the social environment and the biological factors in the construction of the mind. He's here to explain the making of the mind and the nature-nurture controversy that still prevails. Dr. Jasonoff received his PhD in biophysics from Harvard University. He joined the faculty of the Department of Biological Engineering at MIT in 2004 and today is director of the MIT Center for Neurobiological Engineering and a leader in functional MRI research. We're very honored to welcome Alan Jasonoff. Welcome, sir. Thank you very much. And we are delighted to get a chance to talk about the brain in a very enlightened way. Could you start us off with just a little background, how you sort of got to this point? What's our traditional view and how are we changing? Yes, well, um, so the book is about um, a phenomenon that I call the cerebral mystique, which is uh, the notion that the brain is a very special organ, uh, organ that it's uh, an organ that is distinct in some ways from the rest of biology and from the environment around us in much the same way that a traditional soul was. Mm -hmm. So a lot of us think of the mind as uh, uh, you know, a, a physical analog to what uh, religions over thousands yeah. of years have told us about souls that are immaterial, that transmigrate between bodies. I'm half Indian, so I think about uh, <laughs> souls moving from body to body, but some think of it as moving between body and heaven. Mm -hmm. um, we have that embedded in Western philosophy as well. So it's most yes. famously, it's an idea that's most famously associated with the philosopher Descartes. Uh, who uh, we associate with uh, a view called dualism. Um, uh, dualism refers to the separate existence of mind and body and their interaction that brings about the living person, uh, but nevertheless the fact that they can be separable. And dualism is something that um, most scientists don't believe in mm -hmm, anymore, mm -hmm. at least not consciously. Mm -hmm. uh, we believe that uh, the mind comes about uh, through physical interactions that involve the brain um, and things around it. But one thing that I've been struck by as a neuroscientist working in the field um, now for close to 20 years is uh, the extent to which attitudes left over from dualism, mm -hmm. left over from religious views, um, are actually still alive in the modern discourse of neuroscience, particularly in the popular sphere, but mm -hmm. even also mm -hmm. in the professional mm -hmm. sphere. Mm -hmm. um, and in 
can you give an example of, of that? I can think of about a dozen right off the bat that there is a tendency, I, I would certainly agree, certainly see it all the time, that uh, that the brain, the mind is treated very differently. An example is the whole consciousness issue, uh, a lot of things uh, like that. So I think there's no doubt that um, uh, key aspects of our minds are uh, are, 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 are somehow um, you know, uh, embedded in, in, or encoded in our brains. <laughs> um, and um, that, uh, you know, frankly, we couldn't do anything much. We True. certainly couldn't right, do right, any right. behavior without our brains. Nevertheless, um, the, that um, sort of the rhetoric around that idea, which I think is 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 true and commonplace, is that uh, is more extreme. It's the idea that we are our brains. Yes. That our brains are actually just sort of these, um, you know, computer-like uh, entities that live in our heads and that basically conduct. Uh, our mental activities. A lot of people, in fact, like to say that the mind is the software yes, of the brain, as right, if the very... brain was this self-contained entity that runs the mind. And um, that, I think, is uh, sort of a, the product of this idea that the brain is somehow different from the things around it, that it's different in two ways. One, that it is uh, different in its makeup, that it's somehow autonomous of the surroundings in a way that other physical entities aren't. So for instance, when we um, you know, shine a light on something, it gets illuminated, we mm -hmm. see the reflection back. Um, the light doesn't come out of the thing that we, uh, that we see. Right. Um, similarly, when the brain does something for us, when we do something with our brains inside, um, it's, uh, it's because they're stimuli going into the brain and, 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 and sort of working through us uh, to, to, uh, to do what we do. So um, there's a sense that the brain is different in its material and then also in its causal relationship mm -hmm. to the world around it. So I talk about two of these, uh, about these two categories of, of differences in the book. And um, on the subject of um, how we perceive the brain as being different, um, there, there are sort of two main ideas about the brain that I think are often emphasized. So one is its sort of inorganic or computational aspect. Yeah that the brain works by electricity. We actually know that it works by electricity because we can put electrodes on our heads and, uh, and measure aspects of brain activity. But what a lot of people don't realize is that um, actually the reason why those electrical happenings are going on in the brain is actually because of chemicals. Mm -hmm. And the brain's life um, you know, close up is actually much more about chemicals and much more about sort of wet and slimy things like the rest of our bodies. Yeah. Uh, than it is about electricity and circuits. And um, I talk about a couple of examples of sort of, you know, maybe lesser known aspects of neural function, lesser mm -hmm. known aspects of brain function in the book. Uh, an example is, uh, in fact, the role of chemicals. Mm -hmm. uh, many of us know that there's this ancient way of uh, thinking about the body that involved these humors. Yes. Uh, the four That's humors. Good, yes, exactly. right. Yes. That's right, and uh, you know we tend to laugh at that, right? Mm -hmm. Kind of archaic way to think about things. Um, but actually, when you look at how the brain works, well, it's got on the order of 100 mm -hmm. humors. Mm -hmm. uh, we mm -hmm. call them neurotransmitters and neuromodulators. They're substances that allow uh, the cells in the brain to communicate with one another. 
And many of them have very specific roles. So for instance, uh, the most famous neurotransmitters are glutamate and something called GABA, which are uh, contrastingly effective neurotransmitters, one of them that produces excitation, the other one that produces inhibition. And these things um, act on cells in our brain, but they also, um, you know, they, they also diffuse, they also, you know, they have um, um, concentrations, there can be more of them in a place mm -hmm. and less of them mm -hmm. in a place. Mm -hmm. In a way, um, you can think of the brain as having ripples of these neurotransmitters, um, you know, sort of uh, reverberating all around it, um, uh, as well as the little electrical effects that they're mm -hmm. related to. Mm -hmm. So um, neurotransmitters and neuromodulators are really important. There are also many cells in the brain, actually about half of them, that are not electrically active at all. And you know, the importance of these cells to some extent challenges the notion of the brain as this electrical computing organism, or Is organ. Yes, well, the glial cells. A from lot the, of interest in that now. Exactly. Yeah. So glial, glial cells are, uh, the, the word glia comes from the Greek word for glue. And uh, glial cells are, uh, were originally thought to just be supportive, you know, basically just to hold the thing together. Mm -hmm. um, and, um, you know, that is part of their role, but then again, so are the neurons. You can't have a brain without neurons either. Exactly, yeah. um, uh, what's, what's become clear in recent years is how important the glia are for various functions that are super important for how brains work. So, for instance, um, I mentioned neurotransmitters before. The neurotransmitter glutamate um, gets released by neurons and it allows one neuron to signal the mm -hmm, next one. Mm -hmm. But it turns out that it also uh, signals to glia, or at least it interacts with glia. Glia take it up, and that's actually part of the process that limits communication in the brain. If you didn't have the glia there, mm -hmm. well, that kind of communication would be a totally different thing. It would, it, would, it would probably be pathological. Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. And uh, it, the, the, the interaction of these different factors of the cells, um, of, of, of the cells of multiple types and the neurochemicals and the electrical potentials that they induce, uh, this interaction is all important for how the brain works. It's like gears in a clock. They all work together and you can't take one of them out. Right, well, and a lot of that, according to your book, uh, the, the, the stimuli, so, so to speak, that's very important of the environment in which this occurs has tremendous effects and you bring up some very surprising uh, facts uh, along this line with, with certain conditions, for example, uh, that we have treated as solely in the brain, but you're saying, no, this is anchored out here. So PTSD, sch schizophrenia, uh, a whole lot of things that we have sort of isolated. Is that true? That just yeah, well, so, so as I said, I mean, I I, I, I kind of cite examples of how people view the brain as different. Mm -hmm. And the example of the computer, the computer-like brain, is an example of how people think the brain is different in its substance. Mm -hmm. People also talk about its extraordinary complexity, and that's another way in which the brain is distinguished in its substance. But what you're calling attention to is a, a different type of distinction, a brain-body distinction yeah. uh, that relates to how the brain works, how it causes things. And um, one of the you know, big ideas that, that, that's sort of uh, circulating around these days is the idea that um, you know, what we do, uh, and in particular pathologies uh, in what we do, are caused by defects in the brain. Mm -hmm. So you cite the example of schizophrenia. That's an, that's an example where um, you know, a lot of people want to think of schizophrenia as being caused in the, the brain, brain. Yeah, exactly, right. and um, you know the truth. The dark truth of the matter is, we don't really know mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm, all mm -hmm, that much mm -hmm. about what causes schizophrenia. We know that it's um, largely genetically determined in the sense that 
if you look at um, what are called heritability studies, mm -hmm. you can find roughly 80% heritability of schizophrenia, meaning that um, about 80% of the kind of uh, cases of schizophrenia can be uh, explained by variation in our genes. Now, how that actually crops up is, is rather uncertain. Mm -hmm. So in mm -hmm. particular, um, saying that there's a biological cause or a genetic cause to schizophrenia doesn't enable you to predict, well, when is somebody going to have a schizophrenic or if, episode? Right, right. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, moreover, we know very little about the, you know, the specific defects that are causing schizophrenia, uh, how, what, what comes in between the genes and the mental, you know, mental phenomenon. So one of the things that I talk about in the book a fair amount is the idea that actually uh, a lot of mental phenomena actually relate to coupling between our brains and our bodies and mm -hmm, also our brains mm -hmm. and our environment. If it involves human behavior, somewhere the brain is involved, mm -hmm, that's for mm -hmm, sure. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't mean that it's causative. And uh, one of the uh, actually really interesting examples uh, about schizophrenia that, that, uh, that I cite uh, is a study of uh, mental disorders in urban areas. It's a classic study uh, from the 1930s that showed um, that uh, cases of schizophrenia are actually markedly higher in urban areas. And people to this day, so th those, those findings, uh, although they're old, they're not necessarily wrong. And they've right, actually right, been right, reproduced. Right. They've right, been reproduced right, right. repeatedly. And, and people still don't really understand why that is. Right. It may have to do with an environmental effect. Many of the most obvious ideas have been ruled out, like, you know, that people who have mental problems move into the <laughs> city. Exactly, right. I mean, that's sort of an obvious, you know, <laughs> what we call confound. Um, and, and that doesn't seem to be true. Right. Um, okay. One of the other things that I talk about is the idea that there may be peripheral bodily causes. So by peripheral, I mean outside the brain. Right, so I'm right, still right, brain-centric right, 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 here. Um, right. And that, uh, that these things may be causing mental disorders also. And uh, a couple of the examples I cite there are famous um, older examples from history. Um, so in particular, um, if you looked at, a, at an insane asylum, uh, out of use word now, but an insane right, asylum right. from the 19th century, you'd find that probably the greatest single population of patients were people who had uh, syphilis. A bacterial oh yes, disease. that's right. Yes, yes yeah. right. It's 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 a fam it's a famous and, and well studied fact um, that uh, uh, that uh, uh, you know one of the gravest mental disorders of the nineteenth century and eighteenth century as well uh, was actually caused by a bacterial disease that now we can treat with antibiotics. Right. And um, in a way, it it sort of cuts both ways. I mean, th th this example tells us two interesting things. You know, one one interesting thing, and I think this was formative in the field, uh, is that of course at least that mental disorder, uh, the, it's, it was called ge general paresis. It was uh, yeah, uh, essentially, yeah, a, yeah. it's sort of a dementia-like uh, yeah, uh, yeah. complex of, 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 uh, of behaviors. Uh, but they thought it was know. in the brain, well, well, the head, well, they didn't. No, <laughs> the they soul. Did, they, they didn't. So back then, they thought it was in the soul, actually, yeah. yes. And, and in fact, moral turpitude was, uh -huh. you know, sort of generally viewed as the dominant cause for mental disorders. In fact, if you look at uh, admissions records to a, a 19th century uh, asylum, you might see causes uh, for, uh, you know, for men that include, uh, uh, you know, uh, moral destitution, uh, you know, masturbation, yeah. I mean, all kinds of uh, horrible... Homosexuality. Um, homosexuality. Uh, actually, um, that or, lasted a long yes, time. That, that, until uh, the disposal. 1950s, homosexuality was, was uh, you know, it was actually listed in the first yes. uh, diagnostic manual. Is, yeah, yeah, DSM, yeah, DSM uh, the, the famous manual of psychiatric right. diseases. So, 
um, both these examples, um, uh, I mean, they're, they're somewhat different. So um, the example of, um, of, of syphilis uh, causing mental disorder tells us that, okay, well, mental disorders are biological in some way. Right. Okay. But it also tells us that they needn't be brain, they needn't be caused by agents in the brain. Right. The brain is right. involved. Right. It's but part it's a physical the, thing. Exactly. And, and yeah. so that's, that's why, you know, if you look at, at sort of the, now the modern landscape, where there's this great movement to um, essentially redefine mental diseases as brain diseases, uh, that, uh, that movement misses out on something. That was a really good point. Yeah, and I think, um, you know, I think more and more people are realizing this now. Um, it misses out on uh, many uh, potential causes for mental disorders, as well as multifactorial situations where, okay, well, maybe we are in the, uh, you know, maybe we have the genes that predict that we should have schizophrenia, but well, what's causing us to have an episode, it, yes. or what's making the right. difference? Or why between... is it that not everybody gets it? You know that that who may have a disposition, but that exactly. like that urban thing, a PTSD might be another example. Well, PTSD sure. is a great example of of a, of a you know a, a, a mental condition that is not caused by genes that yeah, is yeah, related right. to our brains. Yeah, um, right. Yeah. But I, I meant that you may be more just some may be more disposed to it than others. Oh, but sure. also right. we're yeah. very kind and gentle about this situation now. But you want to say you you need to look at this more broadly. I think that yes. you still have so a little there, problem. There are a couple of reasons why I think it's it's really important to look more broadly, and and it has to do with more than just sort of realizing that there are multiple causations. Yeah, I yeah. mean that's that's all well and good, but it's also sort of ivory towerish, right? Yeah. But what does it mean for actual people, patients in particular? Mm -hmm. um, well, one thing it means is that uh, it might help us combat the stigma. Mm -hmm. So one of the key issues, as you know, for mental disorders is the stigma of um, you know, facing your community, facing yourself, actually, uh, when uh, you uh, believe that you have a mental disorder. And um, you know, a lot of people, I think, thought that, OK, well, by redefining uh, mental disorders uh, as not as kind of moral problems, but as brain diseases, we could view them the way we might view having a cold. Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But that's not the truth. Mm -hmm. And part of the reason for that is, in fact, this kind of mystique of the brain that actually, you know, okay, if there's something wrong with our brains, we don't just take that the same way that we would take, you know, a kidney disease or, or something yes, else. Right. Um, it's actually special, and that's because we identify with our brains in a way that we don't identify with anything else. Yeah. Um, so um, self-stigma is a big problem for uh, people who have uh, who have been diagnosed with mental illness. And um, the sense that uh, they've got a broken part, in yeah, particular, right. a broken brain. A self, a broken self. A broken, yeah. yeah, well, a broken brain, yeah. uh, you know, a broken self located in the brain yeah, is, is, right. is, a, is a hugely important issue. And while it may be true for some people that there are brain lesions or that there is yeah, something right, right, uh, right. That, that is different about their brains compared with uh, someone who doesn't, hasn't been diagnosed, or the average person, I should say, who hasn't been diagnosed with whatever the condition is. The truth is much more nuanced and variegated than yeah, that, right? Yeah. It's always the brain in a context. Um, the context involves both uh, the body of the person and the, uh, the environment around them, including society, yeah. uh, including inorganic aspects yeah. of the environment. One of the, right. one of the uh, examples I, I discuss, uh, which is well known, 
um, about how the environment affects our minds is the example of SAD, seasonal affective mm -hmm, disorder. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And you know, here we are in uh, the northeast of the United States, and uh, we are sad. I, I, only, I only got to a point of the year when where I can wake up and the sun has already risen, right. <laughs> risen. And uh, you know, I feel I feel the effects of right. uh, of light deprivation on my mood, yes. on my personality. Right, and if I right. am if I am if I have biological biological uh, you know predispositions of a certain sort, that environment not, might not work for me. Yes, um, and I think right. what's important is that um, you know people recognize that there is this interaction and that it's not just one thing. Um, the other thing, in addition to the issue of stigma, that is very important, is how we view treatments. Yeah. So um, it's difficult, of course, to make an assessment of you know why do people choose the different treatments that they choose. But nevertheless, it seems to be documented that a rising awareness of the importance of the brain for mental disorders has coincided with a rising use of um, uh, uh, pharmacological yeah. treatments for mental yeah. illness yeah. as opposed to other yes. treatments like talk therapy, behavioral exactly. therapy, and so on. And while I'm not, uh, I'm not a doctor and I, I don't have a, sort of a horse in that race, I can say that um, if one of the reasons why you're taking a drug for your condition rather than um, talk therapy is because you think the drug acts on the brain whereas the talk therapy doesn't, that is wrong. And um, okay. part of, I think, the value in appreciating that um, uh, the brain is, is sort of, in a sense, a transducer. It's, it's a, it's, I, I, I use the word prism in the book. It's yeah. a prism through which multiple influences refract. And um, one of the one of the I mean one of the the, the reasons why we, we should see that is that uh, you know when when we you know when we have our conversation when 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 I, I have an interaction that that alters my behavior or or influences my behavior that is that is just as brain centric yes. as a drug is yes right I would like to ask you in our mm -hmm. remaining time too about some other things that you have touched on, and one of these that's very popular right now is the whole idea of brain hacking, mm -hmm. and then the transhumanist trend to which is just fun, but it can yeah. be very eerie. But could you tell us a little bit about that, what you've said about that? Yeah, well, so, you know, I, I live in a world uh, at MIT that is very, very you know, into very, in, very into technology of all sorts, and in yeah. fact, you know, I, I actually direct a center <laughs> that is a center of neurotechnology. Now, yeah. MIT, we don't have a medical school, we don't see patients, and, and actually our, our neurotechnology is about, uh, uh, largely about tools for studying the brain, which is something I think we, we all share a commitment to, right. regardless of where we think our species is going, right. um, and, uh, or at least all of us in the center. Um, but, uh, but there are um, a lot of uh, uh, increasing numbers of voices, I think, out in the, in the public sphere um, as well as even at the university, uh, the, who are interested in uh, kind of enhancing human existence by okay. enhancing the brain. Right. Um, and I, um, you know, there, there are many people who actually take a, a really dismal view of that stuff. And I have to say that I personally don't find it especially attractive. Mm -hmm. um, but um, what, I, what I discuss in the book is the idea that actually a lot of the feelings about uh, enhancing the brain, uh, enhancing cognition through enhancing the brain, or, or even in some cases uh, gaining immortality uh, by uh, analyzing the brain or, or freezing it, um, that a lot of the fascination with that actually comes from the same kind of cerebral mystique mm -hmm. that I discussed. There, yes, that there's idea. this idea that, okay, well, the brain is special. It's special both in its makeup and in its causal relationship to the world. 
and it encapsulates our essence. There's this phrase that's used, we are our brains. Um, uh, it's, it's sort of figures in popular science writing, and it actually, you know, it's actually a very old idea. I mean, you know, from the times when people were debating whether the brain was the center of the mind or the heart was. Yeah, right. Um, right. You know, people went all the way because it's easier to go all the way when you have an idea. Um, so uh, when you believe that we are our brains, uh, then clearly the future of we, the future of us, is somehow going to be dependent on this. And um, uh, one of the movements I think that's, that's quite rife these days is this idea that, okay, well, we should be making implants so that our brains could communicate better with the outside world. And, uh, chips can, for memory. Exactly, yeah. chips for memory <laughs> enhancement. You know, uh, of course, uh, I have a, a chip for memory enhancement. And uh, I don't know if I'm allowed to do this, but it's over here. Yes, and, yeah. and of course, and many, very you know, many, people are, many people are very conscious of, 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 of this fact. And, and that's actually mainly what I call attention to mm -hmm, in the book, mm -hmm, which is mm -hmm, that, mm -hmm. um, you know, there are peripheral analogs of almost anything that you could imagine doing with the brain that are already there. Yeah. You know, yeah. we drink coffee to enhance our cognition. Uh, we Take pills. Get for concentration? Yeah. Um, we, we, yes. Well, okay. Well, we take pills for concentration. Uh, uh, we also take pills to, uh, you know, remove headaches and uh, indigestion. Relax. And all those things have yes. cognitive effects right. as well. Right. Yes. Um, Good, yeah. um, we have um, aids that include our, our phones that, you know, allow us to look things up obsessively on Wikipedia, which is what I do. Um, uh, we also have aids that work around our brains even more kind of circuitously. So, um, you know, here we are in the Boston area, and I, I like to cite the fact that, okay, well, if we want to enhance the cognition that relates to driving. Oh, this uh, is a wonderful thing. Uh, Go we, ahead. You know, yeah. it, it may be that the best way is actually just to leave <laughs> our brains out of it. Um, you know, there, there are you know, people in, in the military who are interested in having soldiers be able to fire missiles faster yeah. uh, from when they're piloting drones remotely or whatever. Um, but actually, the best way to do that may be just to have the computer do it. I mean, that's something that's, of course, widely recognized as well. Yeah. But, um, uh, you know, I think the extent to which gaining independence of the brain might actually be a good thing for many of the cognitive tasks we want to solve in society is something that I think uh, let's say, could be better realized. Right. Uh, the other more, we don't have a whole lot of time left, mm -hmm. but I was really wanted to get this in, that the there are manipulations out there. There are two, the two kinds. I don't know how quickly you could address those, but the one, and you mentioned the military, is certainly mm -hmm. interested in this, but things like torture, uh, uh, but other, the... Um, optogenetics uh, ultimately could go that way. These kinds of things where the brain can be actually manipulated, that's physically. The other is left over from time immemorial in which you have uh, biases in, uh, and uh, what do I want to say, belief systems and now social media hmm. uh, kind of uh, propagandizing your, your brain, your, your, your ideas. Well, I think so uh, there are the two things. What, what say you? Well, um, I mean, there's a lot to say, of course, but the, um, you know, I think, uh, you know, optogenetics is a tremendously powerful technique yeah. for studying the brain because yeah. you can go in there and uh, not into a human brain, but into an animal's brain and, uh, and, and, and try to determine in, in, in a causal way, you know, sort of what the effect of an intervention at a particular point yeah, right. is. Um, now, as a tool for behavioral manipulation, well, the thing, it becomes sort of 
you know, a lot more questionable whether the, okay. this is something to do. Um, there, there is, of course, hope that uh, certain neurological conditions could be treated with that kind of intervention. So, for instance, uh, Parkinson's disease, which is uh, commonly, uh, relatively commonly treated with uh, uh, deep brain stimulation with electrodes, it might be that a better version of that could come about through optogenetics, although uh, the, the field is nowhere near uh, mm -hmm, actually mm -hmm. achieving so that. Now, um, the fact of optogenetics and, 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 and stimula brain stimulation te technologies more generally, uh, the fact that these things exist, um, I think, um, you know, may encourage people to worry uh, that actually there is going to be mind control mm -hmm. that is, you know, that's made possible by these kinds of technologies. And one of the things I would say, and I do say in the book, is that in a sense the worry about that um, is perhaps exaggerated mm -hmm. precisely for the kind of reasons that you gave, mm -hmm. namely, well, we've always had mind control yeah, through the, propaganda, uh, yeah, yeah. through torture, right. which is a, a behavioral Belief therapy of, uh, sorry, sorry. of all sorts. Exactly. So um, what, you know, what I argue in the book is, well, you know, people worried about um, you know, inequality in our society mm -hmm, because mm -hmm. of the use of brain technologies. They're also worried about brain technologies falling into the hands of you know, Big Brother in some way. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And that's well enough. I mean, you know, I would worry about those things. However, to the extent that we are worried about those things, we should worry about the modern analogs of those things that are going on right now. Yeah. And uh, I think the, the distinction between brain technologies and, and peripheral technologies is, is overplayed, and that mm -hmm. is a phenomenon okay. of the cerebral mystique. And I think it cuts both ways, both on the, you know, on the side of the vogue, mm -hmm. you know, the, the, the mm -hmm. kind of mystique mm -hmm. for brain hacking, mm -hmm. and on the side of the fears about it. Okay, I have just one more sure. thing there. Yeah. It, this is uh, almost almost a fun thing, except that it's taken very seriously. And in this area, there are groups like this, the transhumanists, and the idea that you're just going to lift your brain up into something or other, and uh, uh, there it is, eternal. Mm -hmm. What is that movement like? Is this a part of the cerebral mystique? Um, so I think that it, I think that it, it is related, uh, closely related, and uh, you know, actually, just just a couple of weeks ago, there was some some press about a company that's offering um, uh, oh. to freeze your brain. It's it's the second company, at least that I'm aware of, that's that's doing this. That uh, just you know, your brain, gonna, exactly. So it's going to come up to you as you're dying, um, and uh, um, uh, you know, kind of inject you, or the word is perfuse you with a certain type of substance. Uh, take your brain, and it's going to store it. Um, and, 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 and you know, liquid nitrogen or something like that, until the technology is available to totally, you know, minutely scan it in some way, probably using a form of microscopy, um, uh, to work out all the connections uh, in your brain and to try to reconstruct your mind based on that. And I think that's um, a product of the cerebral mystique in more than one way. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the most, uh, you know, the broadest way is that, of course, the reduction of the person to their brain yeah. is inherent in yeah. that approach. Yeah. And I think that that's um, scientifically wrong in the sense that, you know, well, there are a lot of things about your body that influence your emotions, that influence your personality, yeah. um, the way you look, uh, uh, and of course the way that you interact. And, you know, just a brain, uh, you know, sitting by itself in a vat is not going to have your life unless you have also uploaded 
all those other things. Like your and culture, your, <laughs> your exactly. food, everything. And you could do that. You <laughs> yeah. could do that. And maybe one day that will be a possibility. I'm not yeah, quite sure right. what it's for. Right. <laughs> but then again, what is anything for? Well, in looking <laughs> at that, though, I just thought I yeah. was very glad yeah. you had done that because mm -hmm. that immediately reminds me of the soul. We're right back there at the beginning, this isolated thing, this entity mm -hmm. that is, you know, completely separated from the body, from its exactly. culture and everything else. Yeah, it's right. very special. And uh, uh, so it, it's well done. I want to say in closing, I wanted to talk about all, several other things. I'm afraid we're out of time, but maybe you'll do it again. Maybe we'll do a repeat. And in the meantime, um, I'd like to say I think your book event at the Harvard Coop, which was scheduled for last week, whenever it was good, the snow came mm -hmm. in Boston, of course, then is rescheduled for, I believe it's next Tuesday the 2nd. Is that the is, for okay. Monday or I think Tuesday? It may be it's next Monday week. The Monday. Second, okay, yes, Monday. Yes, what is the 2nd? Yes, I'm confused of about April. Those too. And yeah. I hope we'll get this up. But uh, I do hope that people in the Boston area will feel free to go. This Harvard Coop, and you get to talk to Dr. Jasonoff and buy the book. But also, this is really very interesting reading and very important at this time. So uh, I hope that uh, other other people will enjoy this as much as I did and keep writing for, right. oh, well, for sure. You. Dr. Jasonoff, thank you very much for coming and for giving us all this wonderful information. Thanks so much for having me. We hope you enjoyed this podcast of a Science for the Public event. Please check out our website, www.scienceforthepublic.org, for videos of all our events lists of upcoming events, our weekly Sci News Roundup newsletter, and timely science information.